Thanks for downloading the McKay interview. My newest guest is Robert Sinclair, CEO of London City Airport. It's London's fifth airport in size and unique in that it is almost in the centre of a vast conurbation and one of the world's great cities. Among other things, we discuss to what extent things are getting better in the air travel sector, what the new normal looks like in his business, how he gets on with his neighbours, his views on the net zero debate and the impact of the recent aggressive price increases in aviation fuel. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. There is no doubt that things are getting better. And for those of you listening who are old enough to recognise that I'm stealing the words of the Mamas and the Papas' famous song, didn't Mama Cass have a great voice. But seriously, what I mean is that we no longer have to wear masks, except in very special locations. Hospital intensive care beds are no longer full. And as I look up into the sky from my back garden in Fune, I see a lot more airplanes overhead, either on their way in or on their way out of Geneva Airport, a distance of just 16 kilometres or 10 miles. In fact, in a recent exchange with André Schneider, the chief executive of that airport, who many of you remember being on my show back in 2019, he told me that the traffic is currently at 70% of 2019 levels and at weekends achieves 80 to 90%. And that's good news. In fact, it's great news. Now, we're going to talk about airports and air travel today, and we will examine what is going on in some depth because I'm very fortunate to have as my guest the chief executive officer of London City Airport, Robert Sinclair. He's in Geneva to address the British Swiss Chamber of Commerce and has very kindly taken time out of his hectic schedule and a short visit to talk to me. And we're sitting here in the warm and friendly Hotel Warwick, Geneva. Now, hello, Robert. It's a great pleasure meeting you, and many thanks for taking time to be on the McKay interview and to share your knowledge and insights of your industry with me and our listeners. Hello, Michael. It's wonderful to be here. Welcome to Geneva. Thank you so much. Robert, my guess... When I started reading about you and we had our first telephone conversation is that you must have air travel in your blood, coming originally as you do from New Zealand, which is about as far away from the UK as anyone can be. And you used to run Bristol Airport, which I've flown into and out of many times and grew up not far away from it. It was nothing but an airstrip. But before, you were a member of the senior management of Auckland's International Airport in your home country. I mean, before you went on to run Bristol Airport. Now, please tell me how your career progressed from your professional education as a lawyer and chartered accountant, which is what I read about you. How did you end up at London City Airport, and how long have you been there? Well, actually, it's a really good question, Michael, and and these things go back, as you can imagine, quite a long time. So you're right, I'm from New Zealand. That's a New Zealand accent that you're listening to. Uh, and of course, New Zealand is famous for a few things, including its national bird, its uh, its national symbol, which is the kiwi, which just so happens to be a flightless bird. Um, <laughs> so I think the rest of us, our citizens, sort of have to make up for uh, for that. Um, and we're a very mobile race of people. And you're absolutely right. You know, New Zealand's at the bottom end of the world, twelve thousand miles away from from the UK. And so aviation is incredibly important to to New Zealand, island country sort of thing. So um, as a boy, I was incredibly keen to fly. I wanted to be a pilot. Sadly, uh, unfortunately, my uh, eyesight wasn't twenty twenty, so I had to find something else to do. I see. And I the see. options tended to be either a lawyer or a doctor. Didn't like the sight of blood, so I. Decided to go into law um, and then into banking and then ultimately to, um, to Auckland Airport uh, and that combination of law, accounting, 
finance, I think, sort of set me up quite well for being an airport chief executive. But I have to say, I, I never lost the sort of desire to travel um, and being at New Zealand, the bottom end of the world, you're a long, long way away from the rest of the world. And so we, we moved up here in 2008, took on the role at Bristol Airport, uh, and then after sort of eight or nine years there, took on the role at London City. See, that's fascinating. Well, Robert, listen, things are getting better, it's clear, as I said at the beginning, but tell me about London City. What was it like before March 2020, the depths you must have hit during the lockdown period, and, and now getting better? Tell me how getting better looks and feels today. Well, it's quite remarkable, I have to say, Michael. I mean, the, the, the passage of the last two years has been extraordinary, unprecedented would be an understatement in terms of what has happened. If I go back to, say, 2019, early part of 2020, we, like many other airports around the world, certainly in the UK and Europe, were seeing record passenger numbers. And, and that was really on the back of six to seven years of growth since really the uh, global financial crisis. Um, and we were feeling very confident about the future. Um, the, the pandemic uh, is different from uh, and is quite different from crises that aviation has faced before. And whether it's 9-11, uh, whether it's Iraq, Iran, whether it's bird flu, whether it's the global financial crisis, uh, whether it's terrorism uh, effects or conflicts, we have faced these things in the past. The pandemic meant zero travel, in effect zero travel. Travel restrictions, quarantine, testing requirements, very, very complex, difficult uh, forms right across Europe. Government edicts to stay at home. We'd never faced anything so like this. Not since before. a world war. No, not since yeah. a world war. Yeah. So, so it was really quite extreme and very different from what we would experience in the past. So in March 2020, we, we, we saw this happening. We were having very concerning um, calls, obviously, with health authorities in, in the UK. We were seeing a lot of the um, coverage in terms of what was happening in places like China, of course. Um, and this felt like this could be different. It felt like this could last for maybe three or six months or so, um, which, of course, it lasted much, much longer than that and was much more severe. We, we made the somewhat brave decision at London City to close the airport. That was the first time that that had happened since it had opened back in 1987. We actually closed the airport for commercial travel. We kept the runway open for military and hospital yeah. travel, which was uh, useful. Um, but we actually closed it to commercial flights. We had no commercial flights. London, particularly East London, where we were, was the epicentre of the first wave in the UK. And, and our staff and our business partners, our passengers, just were not comfortable with the idea of coming to work or flying through, through the airport. So we made that decision. It was quite helpful in a number of respects. We were able to put staff at home, furlough staff. We were able to get on with some development work that we were doing. And it felt like the right thing from a health and safety perspective. And what's happening now? Well, two years on, it's feeling much better, I have to say. Um, it's absolutely one thing that we had um, right from the start of this crisis is a view and a philosophy that this industry would make its way through this. Um, the industry is very, very resilient. It is underpinned by a trend line that, that is actually very, very solid over time. 
Uh, and so we took a very, shall we say, long-term approach in the decisions that we had to make, whether it's restructurings, redundancies, whether it's how we approached our airlines or our concessionaires, our stakeholders, working with our banks and all of those. And we were very, very proactive, but we took a long-term approach in the way that we made decisions through this crisis. And I think that's um, sort of some very good stead. Um, we are seeing traffic bouncing back now. Confidence is, is back Passengers feel far more comfortable traveling. Uh, the travel restrictions have been eased, as, as you know, um, and domestic travel restrictions have been significantly eased in the, in the UK as well. And therefore, people um, have wanted to get back to traveling, whether it's for business, whether it's for leisure, whether it's for uh, visiting friends and relatives. There has been, um, as we predicted, a, a real pent-up demand, a real desire for people to get back into their lives after this crisis. OK, let's, let's just go back a little bit now. For those listening, who know your airport well, I mean, I personally used to fly there pre-pandemic. I mean, I know people also who used to fly there twice a week on business from here, from Geneva. And I've been in there many times, as I said, because I had a son living in the borough of, of Hackney, just uh, half an hour from the airport. But many of our listeners might not be familiar with all of this. And so please place London City in the firmament of London and British airports in general. Just tell me a bit more about it from that point so, of view. So it's, it's a wonderful history. I mean, look, all airports, all airports, I truly believe, have, have wonderful history. And I think London City has, has um, a really quite different story to tell. I mean, tell it's me actually it. one of the, the newest airports in, in the UK. It was opened in 1987. Uh, it's actually built on the old Royal Docks, which was developed during the 19th century and the early 20th the century. Imperial, sort of imperial shipping time. Indeed, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. When, when obviously freighters and so forth to the rest of the world and the Commonwealth were incredibly important to London, uh, London's economic growth and its, and its lifeline to the rest of the world. Um, sadly, in the 1970s and 1980s, when container ships grew in popularity, uh, the Royal Docks had to close, and the area became extremely derelict. I remember it in the 60s, yeah. Indeed. Um, and with the onset of the development of Canary Wharf during the 1980s, it just seemed sensible to actually look at the prospects of actually developing an airport on the site of the old Royal Docks create an international connect connection um, by way of aviation on top of what was a shipping uh, connection um, in terms of its uh, in terms of its international uh, aspect so um, really quite challenging um, challenging engineering structure um, the origins of the airport were very much short uh, flights um, short hauls and um, domestic flights to west uh, Western Europe in particular. Um, and uh, obviously with its proximity to Canary Wharf and the city, the airport grew on the back of business travel. Um, and for many, many years, business travel uh, was and actually still is incredibly important to us. And, and your comment about Switzerland is absolutely right. I mean, we have in the order of a sort of f um, 40 to 50 flights a week um, to Switzerland. Just primarily. to Switzerland. Just to Switzerland, so Zurich and Geneva, yeah. um, incredibly important destinations for us, for Swiss uh, and also for uh, British Airways, um, and they have been, uh, you know, they've been two key destinations for us for for thirty years. So, so we're well known for business travel. We we well known for our speed and convenience. We're a relatively small airport in the context of London, so we handle just over pre-pandemic uh, just over five million passengers. 
Uh, there are five airports in London. It's actually the most competitive aviation market. Five airports? Five airports. And where do you stack up in the sort of passenger? We're at the bottom. At the bottom? Uh, we're at the smallest. But you're quite the, small anyway, yeah. We're very small, and we're uh, at, the, uh, at the sort of the small end of the London airport And there's system. no tourism, really, through your airport? Actually, there is. Hmm? Um, surprisingly, over the last sort of five to ten years or so, we've actually been growing the leisure side. I of see. Business, okay. I didn't um, know both, that. both inbound yeah. and also outbound as, yeah. as well. As our airlines look to diversify, and as we look to encourage people to use London City for more than just business. And, and the benefits that we offer in terms of proximity, being actually in London and central mm. London and the ease to get to the airport and through the airport, given how small we are, are there for leisure travel uh, as well, including people who want to Excuse me. Who want to do a a weekend trip, um, for instance, um, in uh, you know a long weekend in London, coming in from from Geneva. That's how we've um, used it. It's yeah. incredibly easy to actually uh, get into central London. So that's a big part of our future as well, is to diversify the airport and and help our airports support our sorry help our airlines and support our airlines to actually grow what what they do. There's a sense of confidence in your voice, and so clearly the the way you look at the future, the air traffic. Um, profitability, all those sorts of important statistics, as long as there's no great unsuspecting event as we had in 2020. Indeed. Things are looking pretty good. Things are looking things are looking pretty good. Um, I would describe us as feeling cautiously optimistic, yeah, um, yeah. certainly about this summer. I mean, who knows? We've obviously lived in the world in the last two years where, where things um, can deteriorate and things can go quite... Um, can, can go um, quite badly quite quickly if, for instance, there was a, a new variant or something else was to happen. Um, obviously, we're very mindful of the Ukraine conflict at the moment. At the moment, it's not having an impact on demand, just given our route network, uh, which is, as I say, very Western Europe-focused and domestic-focused. Um, but we're obviously watching that. We're obviously also watching the cost of living crisis at the moment, which is very relevant in the UK and I suspect across, across yes. Europe as, yeah. as well and fuel prices and so forth. So so, th so these are very sort of headwinds and tailwinds that we are quite used to sort of coping with in the context of, of aviation. OK, so I've got a slightly more nuanced question, Robin, now. You know, one of the catchphrases of the past two years has been the new normal. Now, you must be sick and tired of hearing that expression. But you've got millions of travellers, Robert, passing through your airport annually, thousands of airplanes landing and taking off, and are obliged to give priority to health and safety to all who enter, as well as giving particular attention to the financial bottom line. So what does the new normal, forgive me for using that expression again, mean to you? And in what ways have things changed? In what ways are things different from the old practice of working, or perhaps, should I say, the old way of air travel? So, no, I'm not going to forgive you for using that phrase, Michael. <laughs> um, uh, jokes aside, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. We, we, uh, we had a lot of people saying that, you know, there is a new normal um, in terms of the way we work, in terms of business travel, and, and in terms of running our lives and, and, and so forth. Uh, I guess for us in aviation, and certainly for me at London City, we, we felt very, very strongly that, that the industry is very, very resilient. And we've seen these sort of things come and go. We certainly saw in the context, really in the depths of the crisis, a lot of people were very, very quick to write the obituary for business travel, um, which in a way we found quite sad because we, we, we certainly didn't subscribe to that view. And, and whilst we can certainly see there are patterns of work and working um, working styles and working behaviours, which is more flexible and more hybrid working model, of, of course, that we have adopted, and we certainly feel that is a good thing. 
uh, we are certainly seeing now that pent-up demand for business people, not just people going on holidays mm. or visiting friends and relatives, but actually business people meeting to face get to face. back out there, meeting face-to-face, -face, meeting in person, collaboration, conferences, for the multitude of purposes that business people travel, um, which is really encouraging to, to see. Um, and the new normal, well, well, look, I mean, I think the new normal, uh, we are certainly seeing that in the in the bars and the pubs and the restaurants and the cafes around London. I'm sure that's the case, and you're just being around uh, Geneva here this morning, you can see the place is buzzing, people feel confident, people are out and about. So the new normal is certainly not staying at home. That's, that's good um, and, and I think, um, well, you know, you never know, as I say, that things can, can change, but, but I think we are feeling very, very confident or more confident about the future, part of which I think we are very, very fortunate to be highly aligned with, uh, with London as an international city. Absolutely, yeah. Well, my guest today is Robert Sinclair, Chief Executive Officer of London City Airport, and we're talking about the air travel industry. Robert, your industry is at the heart of the net zero debate. What has been your ongoing experience of the decarbonisation of aviation? Is it fact or is it fiction? And give me some practical examples of progress and the measurable, I stress the word, measurable difference decarbonisation makes, the nature of regulatory pressure that airports like yours and the air travel industry are under. Could you just give us a sense of that debate? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think actually in... in um if I perhaps just give a little perspective of, on this topic from the aviation, um, from the aviation perspective, uh, because I, I actually genuinely believe, whilst we've been through an unimaginable crisis in the last two two years, the sustainability and decarbonisation uh, issue for aviation is very very significant, much more significant than than COVID. It is a much more significant as an ongoing challenge for for aviation, which we need to tackle very very seriously. Now, now that having been said, I also believe that the industry has been doing many, many things for many, many years. It needs to step up the pace and level and ambition of what it's doing to decarbonise. Um, but if I reflect on what, what we know we've seen over, over many, many years, I mean, this industry is steeped in innovation and improving what, is, uh, what it can do. Um, particularly in relation to obviously carbon emissions, but also noise as as well as an important focus an for, important for, factor, for the yeah. industry. Um, and the airline manufacturers in particular, whether it's through engine technologies, whether it's through airframe design, reducing weights, utilisation of sustainable aviation fuels, whether it's things like continuous uh, descents and uh, airspace modernisation, these are all the things that the airlines and the aircraft manufacturers have been focused on. For us, so, what was that expression? Continuous, continuous descents. Con and there's actually a thing that's called is called continuous ascents. As, oh, as, as just well. explain that to me because I didn't know. So you're know in the cruise mode at thirty-eight thousand feet, right. and and normally an aircraft will descend in steps right. down to the uh, down to to land at the airport. Um, now, now that is not the most optimum way from an emissions perspective, from a fuel, from a use of fuel perspective. I, I the most, the most optimum way is for the air traffic controller to to coordinate with the pilot, to actually inform the pilot, to basically put the aircraft basically into glide mode at the right time. The aircraft can then effectively just glide into the airport, not quite, but glide as opposed to that stepped approach which requires some level of power to be engaged on the, on the descent pro see, profile. I so see, there you are. Okay, okay. Um, and the same thing applies on, on the ascent, actually, as well. Normally, aircraft will, will ascend in stages and steps, uh, and if that is done on a smooth profile, 
and, and also the very same thing in terms of flight profiles as well. If the aircraft is able to fly the most direct route, there's quite a lot of CO2 that can be saved by virtue of doing that. So, so these are the things that the industry is focused on. Now these are the things that can actually make improvements now um, on the back of the many, many improvements in terms of things like engines and so forth. But that is not to, it is not to suggest whatsoever that we have, you know, we have got to where we need to be. We don't. There's a lot more that needs to happen um, over the next 10 to 15 to 20 years to get aviation to net zero. Fascinating. Let's ask you a question now about um, geography and your your locality. Now, London City is located slightly east of the heart of London. Explain the special circumstance of running a successful airport almost in the middle of one of the world's great cities. And Geneva is such, a, such an airport too, but the, the city is much, much smaller than London. But start by telling me how you get on with your neighbours. After all, you cannot choose each other. How do you manage relationships, political, social, business, environmental? I'm curious to know. It's incredibly complex, I have to say. And, and uh, I have a mantra, which is we, we operate with a license from our local community. Um, and certainly, we, you know, if we are to grow at any stage, we must do so uh, with support from the local community. Very important. Huh? London City has grown up with its local community. We've obviously been there for 35 years and many people around us, as, and we are surrounded. We are very, very urban airports. Absolutely. We yeah. overfly yeah. nearly a million people in terms of our flight routes into and out of London. So we, we need to be highly cognizant of, uh, of those around us and, and work with them, and we do. I mean, thankfully... The airport over many, many years has had a, a, an incredibly extensive uh, program of supporting the local community. I mean, 65% of our employees come within five miles of the airport. Don't that. Five miles. Five miles. Wow. So, so, which is an incredibly important statistic for us. I mean, I'm so proud of that because it basically means that a lot of the people actually at the airport right. live near the airport. That's right. Uh, and there's a real connection by virtue of that. And many of our local residents have had fathers, sons, brothers, sisters, uh, mothers actually work at the airport. So there's a, there is a local connection that way. But equally, we need to be highly cognizant of the of the noise that, that we create, not just uh, obviously on the ground, but our aircraft when they when they overfly. We need to do whatever we can with respect to sound insulation, air quality. We have very significant programs to support young children, skills, education. Oh, and from an education skills yeah, from education and skills perspective, yeah. we do a yeah. lot of school visits to the airport. We have ranges of uh, programs that we, we, we put on. We have a local community fund to support charities. We have volunteering uh, that our staff do once or twice a year sort of thing to help uh, many of the local organisations. It's a very, it's, it's actually a very interesting part of London. It's East London, as you say. It's quite a deprived area of London, actually, of the, of the UK. Um, and yet, obviously, you know, our passenger profile is, is such that we have a sort of a, a real mixture of people coming into and out of the city. So it's incredibly important for us that we have a, a very strong connection to put back into the local community. So very extensive. Them. Fascinating. Now, a topical question that won't surprise you. The price of oil. Yes. And therefore, fuel has skyrocketed since war broke out in Ukraine last month. For those of us, in fact, it's more than that, it's in February, we're in April already. So for those of us who do not understand the arithmetic and trading process of buying fuel, explain, if you can, in fairly simple English, what has happened over the past month and how it affects your industry. I mean, air travel, including airlines, if you can speak on behalf of them, as well as the paying public. 
Yes, it's, you're absolutely right. It's significant. So through, and it's primarily uh, is an issue from the perspective of the airlines and their cost structure, and their and therefore having to pass on the increases in their costs uh, through to airfares. Um, so to give you a sort of sense, so fuel is the largest single cost item for an airline. It makes up about thirty. 35 to 40 percent. It's a very large percentage. It's a very large percentage. So when costs, when oil prices go up as 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 they have done um, very recently, um, it has a very very significant uh, and in some cases quite immediate uh, effect on some airlines. But many airlines have in places uh, what they call hedges. So in other words, they buy their fuel requirement. Um, on a forward uh, forward contract basis, and or they have um, financial hedges in place. So they make an estimate of the future. They, they make an estimate of the future, but they also uh, buy forward, if you will, uh, and in this case buy forward to a certain degree at what is in effect a lower price. So increases in oil prices are mitigated for most airlines until there comes a point when those hedges wear out uh, or expire. Um, so at that point... Airlines really have no other option to pass on the increased cost to uh, into airfares and to into passengers, um, and we are a price sensitive industry, particularly at the leisure, um, visiting friends and relatives uh, end of the business, the low cost end of the business. Uh, increases in prices actually make quite an immediate uh, impact on. Um, on demand, and we've seen that over many, many years work in reverse, where the industry has become very, very efficient. Airfares have come down, and that's actually helped to demand and, and, and create the connectivity across Europe that we have seen. But the reverse can happen. Um, we've seen that happen before. We've seen that in the context of uh, areas where there's been conflict in the Middle East um, in the past, Kuwait and Iraq and so forth. So we're not unused to this. Airlines are not you know, unused to this issue. Um, in some cases, some airlines will add uh, fuel premiums to, to their cost structures to, to recover some of this for a period of time, and hopefully over a period of time that oil price uh, will will come down, hopefully once, once this conflict is over. But for the time being, yes, it's likely, along with the cost of living, that there will be an increase in uh, in airfares, and it's really incumbent upon us as an airport and airlines to work together along with all of the other suppliers in the industry just to be as efficient as possible. And I, I heard on the radio just yesterday, I think, that some airlines are actually pushing the price of tickets up in order to discourage people from flying because they haven't actually got enough people to man the yeah. the cabins or oh, the, the airport is, because of COVID and is, all sorts of things. Is that true? This is where this conversation <laughs> once started. The, the level of pent-up demand that we're seeing now is, is quite extraordinary. I would say it was predictable. Um, and, and I think at London City, we were always quite cautious to ensure that we had sufficient resourcing in place to handle the pickup and demand when, when it came in. And, and thankfully, in part because of our size, we're, we're not a large airport. And so unlike the sort of the Heathrow's um, and larger airports uh, in, in the, of this world that uh, we are you know, have, and have been able to manage that, that increase in demand. But yes, sadly, to, uh, to cope with the crisis, many airports um, and actually um, business partners and, and those in the supply chain um, had to lay off a lot of uh, a lot of staff, and, and actually they left they left the industry. They left the else. industry, um, and they went elsewhere. Uh, and the industry lost skills; it lost talent. Same happening in the hotel industry. Indeed, uh, and the thing about uh, the aviation industry is you can't get them back That's immediately right. exactly because the they are skilled roles yeah. and they require security things like security clearances yeah. and, and so forth. They need to be trained. 
uh, and so the time frame to get them back and and to get them back uh, employed and uh, and and fully trained, security cleared, and so forth is taking quite a lot of time. Whereas that bounce back in demand has has happened very very quickly. Last question, uh, Robert. Uh, I learned from a very good source. In fact, it was the organisation that represents airports in Europe last year that. Um, Airports received very little financial support from governments during the pandemic, but airlines did. Is that now water under the bridge, or do businesses like yours look to governments, in your case the UK government, or maybe the London government, I don't know, you have to explain that to me, for support, or do you simply have to paddle your own canoe and deal with the difficulties from within your own resources? Uh, I must admit, we, we certainly did find that somewhat um, somewhat curious during the course of the pandemic. I'm being diplomatic in my choice of words there. Uh, you're absolutely right. There was a distinction that we saw between airports and airlines, to, and we saw a difference between the UK and Europe as well. In the UK, the airport industry, and the airline industry for that matter, is highly privatised. Mm-hmm. Um, so we typically, the typically ownership of airports and airlines is, is typically large, uh, international, in some cases institutional investors. And I think the UK government took the view that we were large enough, big enough, to look after ourselves. So your airport is a private enterprise, is it? It's a private yeah. enterprise. There's no exactly. local government money in it. There's not. Yeah. Some airports in the UK uh, do have some local government uh, in them, but most of them are, are fully privatised, and likewise for the airlines as as well. It's different in Europe, where actually most of the airports uh, have some degree of local government, in some cases central government ownership, and, and I think that therefore shareholders needed to support those uh, entities and organisations through the course of the uh, of the crisis, as our shareholders did for us. Um, but also, I mean, I, I do think you know airports perhaps historically have perhaps been perceived to be very profitable. I think in some cases they're perceived to be monopoly type type assets, um, and I think that perhaps hasn't helped the level of sort of government support that that we have received. Uh, on uh, you know when when in, in comparison to airlines, uh, in particular legacy or flag carrier national airlines, which are seen as so incredibly important to a country's connectivity that they needed to be supported. Uh, I think the one thing which I would say, and it's been incredibly important for us as airports to to work with government to ensure that the travel restrictions that have been put in place do not last any longer than is absolutely necessary. So we certainly had our wish list through the crisis that we were able, to, to, to use your words, to get on and paddle our own canoe uh, and to be very, very self-reliant. As, as we go forward now, my, my hope with respect to government support is, is whilst we're seeing passenger numbers bounce back very strongly, obviously we've got to repair balance sheets and, and work on our financial position to recover from the last two years. I think a key for us will be to ensure that if there is some other relapse or a variant concern that we don't bounce back straight into travel restrictions. That's one point. I think the other point that we need to focus on, as we touched on before, is the whole issue of sustainability uh, and government support to help us as an industry become more sustainable, I think, is an area of real focus for us at this time. I'll come to London and do the second part of the interview on sustainability. Well, thanks so much for in all the informative answers you, that you, you've given me. It's been, for me, a fascinating learning curve. Uh, have a wonderful stay in Geneva. Uh, my guest today has been Robert Sinclair, Chief Executive Officer of London City Airport. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for listening. Please share the show with those around you. And if you have any questions or feedback, 
write to me at contact at mckays.ch. I promise that I will reply to you.